Hello and welcome to Calling All Detectives from otrgold.com. This episode will begin after a brief message from our sponsors. What is your name and profession? The man squinting into the spotlight was short, stocky, furtive-eyed. Looked more like a petty hoodlum than... My name is Walker T. Briscoe. I'm a... Oil man. Why did you have $150,000 in cash in a valise? I want to buy oil wells. From what bank did you draw the money? I uh, I, won't answer any more questions without a lawyer. Well, he got a lawyer, waived extradition, and was brought back to town. The lawyer rode with us all the way, made sure we didn't question Driscoll any further. So far as I was concerned, I didn't want to question him. Driscoll was obviously no more an inventor, geologist, and mining engineer than I was king of Siam. I'd known the murdered man Harold Mannix and known him well. To me, it was impossible that Driscoll could have fooled Mannix even for a moment. Dawson, I'd tell you something's wrong. We've got the wrong guy. Nobody'd believe this punk's a mining engineer. Dawson was hugely amused. Of course he's no mining engineer. His right name is Frankie Palace, gambler, suspected hold-up man, has a record as long as your arm. Yeah. But was he ever a swindler? Why, sure. He tried to swindle Mannix, didn't he? I was still convinced we had the wrong man. I tried taking my suspicions to the D.A. and was tossed out for my pains. I tried talking to Driscoll's lawyer, who gave me a queer look. Uh, Mr. Browning, the confidences of a client can't be violated by his attorney. My client, who calls himself Walker Driscoll, now admits that his real name is Frank Palace. But he claims to have assumed the name of Driscoll only to evade San Francisco police. He denies ever having met Harold Mannix. Why does Palace say he got the 150 grand? He uh, earned it. Gambling. That's the story the lawyer tried to tell in court. A jury of 12 men and women listened to it and then returned their verdict. Guilty of murder in first degree. That's almost the complete story. I got the last bit of it 12 hours before Frank Palace, alias Walker T. Driscoll, went to the chair. You're a square guy, Brownie. I know you're trying to help me, but it wasn't in the cards. You see, I never did know Mannix. Never heard of him. But I run into this character, Walker T. Driscoll, on a train for St. Louis. I figure him for ready dough. He flashes big bills. On the train, I tell him about a big party in St. Louis and get him all excited. When we arrive, he sends his bags to the hotel and goes with me. I rent a car, drive out a ways, let him have it. Then I bury his body good and deep, and when I come back to town, I go to the hotel, and I'm Walker T. Driscoll, so as I can get his bag and beat it. Except that as I step in, the cops grab me. Funny, ain't it? And that is the complete story of two perfect murders. Like I said, criminals can be smart. So smart that they sign each other's death warrants. Listen next time to Calling All Detectives, mystery drama, mystery quiz, and a chance for you to match wits with yours truly, Jerry Browning, Private Detective.
Calling all detectives. A man in a turtleneck sweater, an heiress with a broken leg, and a blackjack. Those are the exhibits on this page from my casebook. The casebook of Jerry Browning, private detective. A certain amount of the work I, Jerry Browning, private detective, get is acting as a bodyguard. As a rule, it pays well and is easy, but not always. The man in the turtleneck sweater leaned over the table. I say the little lady give me the eye, and I say I'm going to dance with her, see? I glanced at Daphne Springer, who was sitting alongside of me at the tiny table. Her hands were primly folded in her lap, and her eyes were demurely lowered. That meant she had given this mug the eye. Look, pal, the little lady can't dance with you. She's got a broken leg. Oh, a wise guy. For two cents, I... I make it a firm rule of life never to wait and find out what a man would do for two cents. I do it first. I knocked the mug into the laps of the people at the next table. He let out a bellow of rage and came charging back at me. Across the room, three other turtleneck lambs leaped up and joined me. Under the circumstances, I took out my blackjack and... At a definite point in these free for all, somebody always puts out the light. I laid about with a blackjack up to that point, then reached out, picked up Daphne, slung her over my shoulder, and started cutting a path to the door. Well, Daffy, I hope you're satisfied. Daphne wasn't satisfied. She considered it unsporting to use a blackjack against only four opponents and a couple of bouncers, who, in a manner of speaking, were really neutral. I listened to her patiently, then... Daffy, if you didn't actually have a broken leg, I'd break it, and I may break the other one. Now shut up, you're going home! For answer, Daffy suddenly reached over, turned the ignition key, cut the motor, and tossed the key out the window. I didn't have a chance to comment on that, because just then a car overhauled and cut in front of us. In it were my late opponents, the Turtleneck Boys. Hired as a bodyguard for an heiress with a broken leg, I found myself in a stalled car and facing a gang of toughs. I took out my revolver, walked up to the other car, shoved the revolver muzzle against the nose of the mug who'd started all the trouble at the Pink Poodle Roadhouse. I think I'll blow your brains out. What's more, I'm a detective and can get away with it. The mug looked as though he'd faint. Please, we was only kidding. I'll bet. Okay, all of you out of the car and start walking. What are you going to do? I'm taking your car. You can pick it up in the morning at the police garage. I went back to my car, picked up Daffy, flung her in the back seat of the car I'd commandeered, and drove her home. She didn't open her mouth once. Here's your fun-loving daughter, Mr. Springer. What she needs is not a detective, but the National Guard. Springer watched as his daughter was carried upstairs by a couple of servants. Come into the library, Browning. Browning, shall I tell you what's wrong with Daffy? I know what's wrong. She's crazy trying to ski down a mountainside on one foot and... Well, she may be a little crazy, but that's not the main trouble. She's in love with you. I sat down. This is just a plot to have me bodyguard her free. I'm through. I quit. I resign as of yesterday. 
The next morning, I took the commandeered car over to the police garage, explained how I'd come into possession of it. The sergeant kept nodding, writing down my answers until... Hey, is something wrong? The sergeant put down his pen. The guy who owns that car, Nick Whalen, was shot to death last night. You better stick around a while, Browning. Okay, but Daphne Springer will tell you that I took a ride home. The sergeant put in a call to the Springer home and talked for a while in a low voice. Then... Browning, you're under arrest. comfortable cell. I lay down, had a good long nap. A while later, the guard came by and woke me up. Hey, Browning, there's a clancy blonde babe outside in a wheelchair wants to see you. I raised my head. Tell her for me to go break her neck. I don't want to see her. The guard prodded me. Come on, you gotta get up. She cleared you. Daffy was dressed all in black as though already in mourning for me. When I started to bowl her out, she dabbed delicately at her eyes with a tiny handkerchief. Finally, the sergeant couldn't stand it any longer. Drowning anybody who talks that rough to a poor little girl must be a killer. I ain't got a mind to lock you up again. Uh, it would probably be the safest thing that could happen to me. Oh, well. Come on, Daffy. I'll wheel you outside your car. Springer was waiting for us in the car. I uh, heard about what Daffy told that policeman. Made her come down here and retract. I hope you're not in trouble. Nothing I can't handle if she'll just stay out of my life. <laughs> that evening, I took a cab out to the roadhouse where all the trouble had started. At the door, I halted and ducked back out of sight. Daffy Springer was in there sitting at a table with three of the turtleneck boys. As I watched, she got up, walked to the dance floor with one of the men, and danced. Broken leg, huh? I retreated to the parking lot, hung around, and waited. After a while, Daffy and a dancing partner strolled out, walked over to one of the cars, and got in. Ah, Daffy, what do you want to worry about Nick for? He had it coming to him. Hey, just a little kiss, eh? Daffy made it plain she wasn't handing out kisses just yet. When a clancy babe like you, I could go places. And you were smart to shake off that dumb shamus. Now me, I'm strictly from the big time. And I'll let you in on something. Nick had a jukebox route in this territory. But did he develop it? Did he put in slot machines? Meh. So, naturally, somebody smart has to take it over. Like me. I got up from my hiding place and... Laid my blackjack alongside his skull. Then, slide over, Daffy. We're taking this big-time operator into the police. Well, that cleared up the murder at the cost of Daffy's broken leg racket. She admitted it had healed two weeks ago. She just liked having me lug her around. She claimed she knew I'd follow her to the roadhouse. And just got mad when I pointed out the risk she'd taken. The upshot was, she fired me as her bodyguard. Which means that when I take her out these days, it costs me money. Like I said, bodyguard work is fine. Provided you got nothing tougher than a 
killer to worry about. Listen next time to Calling All Detectives, Mystery Drama, Mystery Quiz, and a chance for you to match wits with yours truly, Jerry Browning, Private Detective.